Aqua Lads and Aqua Lasses. Welcome back into the Aqua Cave podcast feed for the continuing journeys of Starman. This is going to be Starman Negative 2, Part 8. Wow, we are really trucking along here with the Negative 2s. Thanks so much for coming along for this bad boy. So, if you look at the feed, I will freely cop to the fact that this episode has been long gestating and waiting. Is it because I'm preparing some sort of epic masterpiece? No. It's because I've been avoiding our first case like it's the plague. Because I remember watching it when it actually happened back in 1997 and thinking it was awful and never wanting to rewatch it again. And when it came up on the list, I was like, oh, fuck. I gotta watch it. And I kept putting it off. I was like, I'll do an episode of Concrete Man. I'll invent the Concrete Man show to delay this. Oh, let's do Top Man. Oh, that's our 50th anniversary. Let's do that. Here we go. You want to talk about Barry Windham on Bright Man? Sure. Uh, still need to cover this Starman match. And finally, here we are. Now, as you can tell right off the bat, I've got a little bit of spicy and sauciness to me. i got a little bit of attitude. That's because today on the docket, we've got two cases deep in the thralls of the attitude era and it must have rubbed off on me our first contest contest excuse me takes place on a date that will live in infamy and don't worry they take full advantage of that fact it is december 7th 1940 1997 at d generation x in your house a little brand synergy with concrete man there although Vince man no longer on the call since last month was the Montreal screw job. And, you know, a little bit of context here as we get into the opening contest. Uh, DX, that being Degeneration X, has been up to all sorts of shenanigans. Triple H, or Triple X, as the sexy voice in the opening video tells us, is going to bust out the heavy artillery for Sergeant Slaughter's old lady. Degenerate me. The sexy voice says, It is indeed DX in your house, the boot camp match, Triple H, Triple X, taking on Sergeant Slaughter. And the show offers us just a little bit of more context to get into the, the hows and the whys of these folks doing battle with one another. I will say this though seeing Sergeant Slaughter on my screen, while it doesn't make me happy, it reminds me. Because, and probably, again, and I'm not trying to cheaply plug my other shows, but over on Top Man, for the 50th episode special here on the Aqua Cave, we recently covered in great detail a lot of different top five lists from the epic, amazing Transformers the Movie from 1986, which sort of forms the ultimate tag team with G.I. Joe the Movie, which came out, I believe, the year after, Um, and... You know, anytime I see Sergeant Slaughter on my screen, I can't help but think of that movie. And while I'm not a huge fan of it, I am a massive fan of the opening, like, three-minute title sequence where Cobra attacks a Statue of Liberty and Duke and G.I. Joe arrive to defend our freedom. And I always kind of wondered, you know, if that's sort of the mass chaos and uh, sort of mass spectacle that a person like Vince McMahon would appreciate. So if you find that interesting... Stay tuned to this episode until the very end. But like I said, it's December 7th, and they use that ad nauseum in the promos leading up to this. It's borderline offensive because that's the day of the uh, Pearl Harbor attack. 
Uh, you know, which, it doesn't matter really where you live. Any sort of attack is an attack. I'm not just saying that because I'm an American. Uh, we did a lot of shitty stuff, too. We dropped a couple of bombs, uh, which were not a... You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but the hype video is centered around the Cobra, Cobra Clutch. Or, as they would say in G.I. Joe the movie, Cobra Clutch, Cobra Clutch. Um... It's, it's a unique move, I guess. It reminds me of uh, WrestleFest, the video game, which will happen again later. And uh, Sergeant Slaughter's in the back, cutting a little promo with his tiny Sergeant Slaughter hat on. With his little riding thing that he would use to whip a horse, I guess. Uh, he doesn't really say anything important, but again, he keeps using December 7th as imagery. And here comes Triple H in the back with Michael Cole. He's wearing his H-cubed t-shirt. I really always wanted a copy of this shirt, and I'm pissed that I never had one. I was a big Triple H mark in 97. I did acquire the Triple H uh, wax stamp crest shirt at a house show, and I did indeed think it was a blood splatter instead of a wax mark that you would seal a letter with because you are a regal blue blood. Triple H says he's got a bag of tricks to use against Sergeant Slaughter tonight, and then he surprises Michael Cole by producing an actual bag of tricks. He's got a comb for Sergeant Slaughter's single hair. Some Metamucil and prunes to keep the Sarge regular, and some Depends, just in case that regularity gets a little out of control. Sarge, and this is Triple H doing his weird, like, I'm a tough guy voice, but I'm still kind of a blue blood voice. He's like, Sarge, this isn't your generation. It's not the next generation. It's D-generation, as opposed to... It's the generation, Sarge. I'm Triple H. I'm the game. He says X marks the spot. That would be his Donkey Dong Doug. And after the match, he's going to swing by the Sarge's house. All right. In your house, Sarge. And give Mrs. Slaughter a few puffs on the old peace pipe. I do have the closed caption on as Triple H comes down the aisle. According to the closed caption, Triple H is the 97th King of the Ring. A large, long, storied history, indeed. JR explains the concept of a boot camp match. It means no disqualification, no countout, and there must be a winner. JR lets us know the Sarge is in the back with James E. Cornette. According to the closed caption, he's in the back with James C. Cornette. Now I kind of want to see a Peacock original series of James E. Cornette trying to navigate his way through the mid-90s WWF while putting off, putting up with the offbeat shenanigans of his evil twin brother, James C. Cornette, who often shows up at creative meetings and pitches ludicrous things, like Savio Vega becoming the World Wrestling Federation champion. I think it could work. Um, and then I start to see more closed caption botches as Sergeant Slaughter delivers this promo, and I'm starting to wonder if this is some sort of multi-layered meta joke. Like, did DX caption this pay-per-view to make it ridiculous because DX is out of control? Probably not. Probably not at all because this happens on multiple, if not every, World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view on Peacock. Sarge says, I'm old, but I'm not dead. I don't know who this impression is, and I'm going to beat you up. And that's an order. All right, I kind of found it there at the end. Here comes Sergeant Slaughter. And by God, he has Kurt Angle's theme song. Well, it's technically the Patriots theme song still at this point. But my God, it's sacrilege to see Sarge come out to this. Holy fucking shitballs. JR says 
Here comes the Sarge. He's 49 years young. He's only 49 here. That is nine years older than I am right now, practically oh, 10, technically. And this man, I mean, he's looked this. I mean, if you would have told me he was 49 at WrestleMania 7, I would have been like, yeah, that that tracks. That 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 tracks. <laughs> but holy shit. Uh JR claims he went out of his way. He's gonna remain the commissioner, but he's acquired a one-night wrestling license. Which begs just an honest question. Do you think it's easier to obtain a wrestling license or a fishing license? Or are they on par with one another? Uh, JR makes, you know, he, he's rambling and what have you, talking about how he never thought he would see Triple H take on Sergeant Slaughter. But according, again, to the closed captions, it's Triple H taking on Vassar. V-A-S-A-R. I don't know where they got it from. I'm blown away. But Sergeant Slaughter gets into the ring, attacks immediately, and the bell rings. So, order in the court for the case of a boot camp match. Triple H versus Vecna. I'm sorry. Vassar. I'm sorry. Sergeant Slaughter at Degeneration X in your house. Now, if you're not familiar with Starman, what we do is we take these cases to court. And I am about to give you evidence I will try to use my vocal inflection to let you know if it's positive evidence or negative evidence. And at the end of the evidence proceedings, I will render a verdict. Is this match guilty or not guilty of Dave Meltzer's star ranking? And of course, based on the title, we're dealing with negative two star rankings in this encounter. Now, I, I should probably clear up just something real quick. I want to be fair to this match, and I and I was open and fair to enjoying this. Okay, I know I came into it hard in the intro, say, saying that it was the bane of my existence, but I went into it as I do with all of these things with an open mind. All right, so right off the bat, Sergeant Slaughter with some fierce strikes, and he falls over while delivering a punch. Luckily, though, the ropes are nearby, and he catches himself so he doesn't fall straight on his face. Later in the match, the Sarge hits the Gut Buster, one of my favorite WrestleFest moves. So you get a thumbs up for me on that one, Sarge. JR calls the pace of the match methodical, which should give you an idea of how things are moving. Fun spot, Triple H is down on the outside. Sergeant Slaughter goes for the pin. He continues to pin. Referee making the cover. Uh, no, actually, the ref goes down to inform Sergeant Slaughter that you cannot pin anyone on the outside of the ring. Seems fairly normal. It's a boot camp match. As JR explained clearly, no count out, no disqualification. Must be a winner. The referee not counting the pin on the outside is called referee's discretion by JR, trying to cover for the old Sarge. Slaughter takes the belt off and whips Triple H in the arm, which is fine, but Triple H takes a back bump off of this? Triple H... Hits an actual decent counter to the Cobra Clutch. He goes down on his back and kicks Sarge right in the chin. Ha-ha! Chin-based humor. Triple H does finally get some offense, though. He whips Sergeant Slaughter into the turnbuckle. And holy shit! Sergeant Slaughter does the 1992 Royal Rumble elimination spot. He flies over the top rope. Goes straight into the guardrail. Kind of does a teeny headstand like, I don't know. It actually looks really cool. Like, mad props to Sarge for doing this at his size 
and age. Now, there's 49's like sort of like dinosaur. I'm not saying that, but you know he hasn't been wrestling. So this was this blew me away. And this actually gave me a lot of hope. I was like, wow, maybe I've just been remember- misremembering this bad boy for a long time. Now, the match continues at its methodical pace. And it looks like we're going to go fight in the crowd. So that's kind of a nice turn of things. But maybe not. Because Triple H, as quickly as we go out into the crowd, clotheslines Sergeant Slaughter back over to the guardrail. And we're in the legal confines of the ringside area. Nice thing here, as Sergeant Slaughter makes sure to pull up his pants so they don't fall down and expose his buttocks as he's getting clotheslined over the barricade. Fun moment as Triple H wants to engage in some ring bell violence, but in order to acquire the bell, he has to beat up timekeeper Mark Eaton. Sergeant Slaughter ducks this bell shot and hits a clothesline! Square across Triple H's nipples. Sarge actually takes a bump off this clothesline. Triple H sells the nipple clothesline pain by walking around, standing, and going, Ah! Ah! One of the weirdest clotheslines I've ever seen. Triple H then uses the belt to whip on Slaughter. It doesn't make a noise. And hey, look, if that means that Sarge isn't suffering some sort of terrible pain from this, I guess I'm okay with that. But it just sort of goes to the overall presentation lacking any sort of oomph. Triple H then hits some slow-paced chain-based offense. He wraps a chain around his hand slowly and... Up in the air so everyone can see he's doing it. I don't know. Triple H, though, tosses Sarge over the top. And after he thuds, a fan yells, Get up, Sarge! And that's an order! And you know what? That popped me. Back inside, though, Sergeant Slaughter is on control. He goes for a body slam! He drops Hunter Hearst Helmsley and then falls over onto his face. Now, this is not some sort of indication that the Sergeant Slaughter character is exhausted from this boot camp match and can't muster the strength to slam his enemy. This is just Bob Remus falling over, unable to deliver a body slam to Paul Levesque. Triple H then has some choice words for his nemesis now that he's squarely in control. Triple H with the bloodthirsty taunt. All right, reverse. Reverse the suplex and go to the top. Go! And then, Sergeant Slaughter reverses a suplex, and he goes up top, and then gets slammed off the top, a la Ric Flair. That's right, folks. Triple H calling the spots loud enough for everyone to hear. Never in my dreams did I expect to see such unbelievable action. Triple H then, with a sleeper! Massachusetts on the call! Boo! Because, you know, they're in, they're in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, this gets reversed into the Cobra Clutch. China into the ring, breaks it up, and decks the referee. A legal maneuver in a boot camp match, says Mike Tanay, I guess, because I kind of put his inflection on there. She brings in a chair, but Sarge has the ultimate defense. Baby powder. He throws the baby powder into China's face. China falls out of the middle rope and takes a bump off this baby powder toss. Jerry the King Lawler on the call. JR, it's Chemical Warfare! Chemical Warfare! The Cobra Clutch is now locked in. But China kicks Sergeant Slaughter ridiculously square in the balls. I mean, this makes a sound. 
This had to hurt. Triple H, Triple H, excuse me, hits a shitty pedigree on a chair. One, two, three. Oh, thank God. I, as I admitted in the opening, I've been dreading this match, and it's over. It is over. I feel so much better. Now, look, fans, I'm going to get serious here for a second. I'm no professional wrestling booker, okay? But this match, even though I covered it in probably like five minutes or so, this match is 17 minutes and 39 seconds long. It is egregiously long, okay? This should have been like 739, maybe even 639. You know, have it start fast and furious like it did. Have Sarge get like a minute of shine. Then you do that Royal Rumble 92 spot where he gets thrown over the top. Then do the bell shit. Then do the powder. Then just get a pedigree and get out of here, all right? This whole thing is designed to put Triple H over and to pay off the fact that Triple H has been, you know, running rampant all over Monday Night Raw and Sarge is the commissioner and he's trying to put a stop to it. You know, give Sarge a minute of shine, but put over the fact that, look, Triple H is young. He's you know, quicker, he's he's just more into, he's a fucking, he wrestles every day, like, this is way too much, this isn't the type of thing that needed, like, a payoff payoff, this needed a payoff to show the Triple H and DX are in control, here's what our 17 minutes and 39 seconds got us, I made a list of all the embarrassing, business exposing botches and shenanigans that happened in this match because of the length, because after all, Doing shit like this is what is supposed to contribute to a negative star ranking. Slaughter forgetting the rules and doing the pin outside is just embarrassing. Sergeant Slaughter taking the time to pull his pants up? I get it. You don't want to have your ass hang out on national television. But at the same time, trying to protect your ass mid-move is another way of showing your ass. The nipple clothesline is embarrassing. Sarge couldn't muster full strength because he's tired. And I'm not throwing shade. I'd be tired too. Shit, I'd be tired walking down the aisle. Okay? Sergeant Slaughter dropping Triple H mid-body slam is not only business exposing and embarrassing, but dangerous. Okay? Triple H having to stall for Slaughter and then making up spots on the fly and being kind of loud about it. Now, I'm not saying he's trying to be a prick. It's just another thing that he's improvising. Maybe he's anxious. It is only 1997. He's not the game. Maybe he doesn't have that confidence yet. It doesn't excuse it, but it creates a scenario where he's loudly calling the spots for everyone to hear. And then last but certainly not least, the angry and bored crowd. It's already the December In Your House pay-per-view, which has a, a track record of being awful. And here you are just contributing to that ongoing narrative. So because of this business exposure, folks, probably pretty clear, I am going to find this match guilty. It was just too fucking long. All right, enough with these two bastards go. You know, I've had enough of Sergeant Slaughter. Off with his head! And let's continue with the off with his head motif and head to King of the Ring 1998, which of course had the subtitle, Off With Their Heads. And I know this because I wrote it on my VHS copy. I would always write the subtitles. I remember my SummerSlam 96 you know, video VHS tape on the sticker on the spine. It was like, SummerSlam 96, colon, opposites attack. You know, because it was Vader and Sean, and that was the subtitle or the marketing title. It is indeed the case of Too Much versus Al Snow and The Head. Oh, boy. 
little bit of context here. We get a recap of Al Snow's new introduction to the World Wrestling Federation to some ridiculous game show sounding music. The narrative here is that Al Snow is indeed the former Leaf Cassidy. He's the man that played Avatar. He's had lots of terrible gimmicks and he's lost his mind. But he spends some time in ECW and all he wants is a meeting with Vince McMahon so he can become a full-time World Wrestling Federation superstar. We see clips of him getting kicked out of Monday Night Raw because, again, he's not a, a, an actual superstar. And then we get clips of Jerry the King Lawler playing tricks on him, making Al dress up in some ridiculous and, dare I say, racist disguises that would make Mickey Rooney blush. But Jerry the King Lawler has an idea. How about a match at the King of the Ring pay-per-view? Take on too much, that being Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor with the head as your partner and if you can win the contract states you get a meeting with Vince McMahon to discuss the potentiality of a contract alright that's the match that's our setup here comes too much and Brian Christopher indeed includes his annoying cackle backstage Al Snow is getting psyched but he's getting yelled at by head Lawler lets us know that he doesn't want to see any flying head scissors in this match or any types of shenanigans like that. Al Snow tells him that head don't lay down for anybody. And here they come for the contest. No music, of course, because Al Snow and head are not official World Wrestling Federation superstars. It's almost as if he doesn't even go here. The Fink then has a special announcement. A special guest referee. Jerry the King Lawler. Oh my, the deck is stacked. Al Snow yells at the head because head didn't tell him that Jerry the King Lawler was a special guest referee. And the bell rings. So order in the court for the case of Al Snow and head versus too much. Al gets a takedown to start. Beating on Scott Taylor now. Slapping him around. Making it look easy. But then he has to go confirm some information with head. And so he stops the assault. Brian Christopher in now. The exact same thing happens. Al with a takedown does some easy wrestling, but then has to go talk to Head. Oh, I see. Is that going to be the gimmick here? Al Snow constantly talking to Head. Is that perhaps why this got a negative two star ranking? Al has control over Brian, or excuse me, Scott Taylor now. So Brian Christopher comes in and we get some Memphis stalling. Yikes. Al Snow backs Brian Christopher into the corner. Christopher complains of hair pulling. So Jerry the King Lawler stops Al's offense. Brian Christopher now in control. Pulling the hair. The King does nothing. Oh, okay. So so that's the gimmick here. Okay. So here's the problem with this whole setup, fans. In my opinion. And probably why this gets a negative ranking from Dave. There's sort of no real ability here to tell a compelling story it's basically three on one the entire time two wrestlers versus one wrestler basically in a handicap match and a crooked referee there's absolutely no opportunity for actual legitimate hope spots here all right in my opinion there's no way to establish an entertaining or compelling narrative because there's really no way to get past all of this stuff and all this window dressing. A two-on-one match, sure, you can you can have that. But the crooked referee element, well, I, I really don't care either way. It, it really makes it hard to construct something that's believable and entertaining. For example, 
Al Snow hits a sunset top rope powerbomb onto Brian Christopher. Brian Christopher has a hilarious oversell. Al goes for the pin. The King waits. He checks the shoulders. One. Checks the shoulders again. Goes for two. Doesn't slam it down, though, because he's got to, again, check the shoulders. And it's, I mean, and then, you know, the pinfall stops. And it's just kind of like, okay, all right. uh, This is just clearly going to be the entire match. Uh, There are, well, I I don't want to necessarily call this a botch or business exposure because it's truly not, but it it is a bit of a close call. Scott Taylor, when the action has gone to the outside, does a springboard clothesline to Al Snow, and he definitely slips. He still makes contact with Al, which kind of breaks up his fall, but it was kind of really scary looking. And I think when you combine like an almost botch with the sort of non-narrative, I can feel Dave anyway being like, oh God, just get these guys. Where's the pole? Let's yank these guys and get them off the screen. Towards the end of the match, we get a weird like Al Snow trying to make the hot tag sequence. Which I'm kind of okay with because I'm like, well, this is kind of fun. And then the heels start actively taunting Head in the corner. And I'm like, hmm, they're kind of treating Head like it's an actual character. What would happen if Head gets the hot tag? It could be fun. Well, (laughs) Head gets the hot tag. And it is kind of funny because once the hot tag is made, Al Snow is sort of back at full strength and because head is at full strength and he's just using the head to strike everybody and hit him in the ring and knock him down and it's kind of funny and i give them a lot of credit for that it's creative it's the attitude era so this is the sort of best time to do something like that another fun spot here scott taylor hits a pump handle slam on al snow he he goes right into a nip up and moon walks right into the corner to tag brian christopher It's just, now we're kind of having fun here. Snow hits a double DDT and a snow plow. uh, And, you know, he goes for a cover. But as we said earlier, Head is the legal man after this hot tag scenario. So Jerry doesn't make the count. Al Snow then goes off to fight, I believe, Scott Taylor in the corner and delivers a snow plow as well. Now, during this time when Scott Taylor and Al Snow were fighting sort of away from everyone else, the special guest referee, Jerry Lawler, went down to the announce table and procured some sort of weapon, maybe? He hands this weapon to Brian Christopher. Brian Christopher then grabs the legal combatant, which is Head, as Al Snow is doing battle with Scott Taylor. And it's not so much a weapon, it's something that Brian Christopher attaches to Head. And I can't really get a clear shot of what it is. All of a sudden, Head is laying down on the ring. Brian Christopher with the cover? One, two, three. It is a fair count, though. It's not a fast count. And and the winners are too much. And I'm thinking to myself, what's just happened here? Well, folks, the weapon, in finger quotes, was a bottle of head and shoulders shampoo. And it was inserted into the little slot at the bottom of the mannequin head, meaning that were indeed the shoulders of Head. Head was the legal combatant. The shoulders were down. It's a legal three count. Ha! All right, so we, we all knew this was coming. All right, we, we've seen this before. We know how this match ends up. Before I render my verdict, the last thing I want to say, and this doesn't contribute to the verdict, okay? This, this is a unique match, as we've discussed. 
and JR's on commentary by himself. He spends the whole match doing sort of a one-man Rodney Dangerfield routine. It's not always a hilarious ruckus, but it, but it does kind of work. He'll, like, ask these hypothetical questions and be like, Hey, who am I talking to? Like, it's just, I don't know. It certainly distracts from any dull areas. And, and you know what? This match is less than seven minutes long. So we're not, like, in the egregious territory that we were here with our first encounter. All right? So I'm mauling over the evidence... And you know what? I believe I have indeed rendered a verdict. I find this contest not guilty. Now remember, folks, me saying that it's not guilty doesn't mean it's like instantly transformed into some sort of Tokyo Dome classic, all right? But there's no way in hell that this match should receive the same rating as the boot camp match that we just watched. That match was full of business exposure, dull moments that would put you to sleep, and just a narrative structure that doesn't lend itself to the story that should be told, especially when you're considering the fact that you're trying to put over a hot, young, new act that's a quote-unquote important superstar. I mean, the pay-per-view is named after the stable that the superstar is a member of, all right? This is a throwaway undercard match that whether or not you want to agree with it or not, I will say, the head and shoulder shampoo bottle, it's clever. All right? Now, whether or not you think it's stupid, keep in mind, all right? Keep in mind that if you think the idea of the match is a bad idea, that's fine. It's I kind of think it's a dumb idea too, okay? But they book that dumb idea, and they have to figure out a finish. They have to find a way to make it all work in the end, okay? And yes, you could argue that they just pinned Al Snow, just pinned Al Snow and that's that. But you want to keep Al strong. After all, you're trying to hype him up as a new superstar. How do you pin the head? The head doesn't even have shoulders and the rules state, I mean, you see where I'm going with this. It's not bad. I mean, come on. You definitely get at least a, a half a star for cleverness. And if you say the match is a dud, all right, the half star for cleverness takes it up to half star. And the rework here isn't bad. There's that one Scott Taylor move that was kind of whatever. But, I mean, a star? Sure. Sure. But come on, negative two? That, that's a little harsh. And I don't really know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the mindset is to say that. I mean, we've covered some really bad matches, okay, that more than earned those negative two stars, all right? But I don't know, like, those matches that I, matches that I find guilty make sense. And, and like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to wax in too much into this stupid King of the Ring 98, you know, handicap tag team match. But end of the day, it's not even close to some of the bad shit that we've watched on this show. And so I'm going to rescue it and I'm going to declare it not guilty. And that will close the case docket for this episode of Starman. Now, folks, before... I head out of here on the Aqua Cave. Uh, I'll do my regular shtick. Please subscribe to the Aqua Cave. That way you get notified whenever new content drops. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. But because I was reminded of the awesomeness of the G.I. Joe opening video uh, for G.I. Joe the movie, I did hypothesize on the way out here a special Labor Day weekend treat. What would happen 
if Vince McMahon was at the Statue of Liberty on that fateful day the Cobra made their attack? How would he react? And would he see his saviors as G.I. Joe or his own WWF superstars? I don't know. It's stupid. You might not find it funny. But I'd like to leave you with a special sketch. Vince McMahon and the Statue of Liberty match. As always, thanks guys. I appreciate it for coming along for the Aqua Cave ride. Enjoy the sketch, and I'll see you next time. Aqua Cave content drops, uh, and we got to take some matches to trial. All right, welcome everyone to the USS Intrepid for the No Holds Barred Boot Camp match here in the shadow of Lady Liberty in the New York Harbor aboard the USS Intrepid. I'm Vince McMahon, and whoa, whoa, did you hear that noise? What, what is happening now? Uh, I'm getting word. I'm getting word in the back that there's some... I don't know. Who's, whose music is this, everyone? I'm not quite sure. What's... G.I. Looks like there's some... Some writing in disguise. Is G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe! Sergeant Slaughter? Is he here? Ah, yes! Lady Liberty! Lots of pyrotechnics here in your house! Setting off balloons! All right! I'm already USS Intrepid! Let's get this party started! What... What's this? It's some sort of an invasion! No! Cobra! Oh, the sons of bitches. They've come to ruin the special new USS Intrepid match. Oh no. The balloons. They're going to pop them. There's, there's too many of them, fans. Now I kind of sound like Jim Ross. I don't mean to. Someone attack them. Oh no, it's a Cobra Rover Trooper. They've punched my TV camera. Someone must... What's this? Lex Luger! Alright! Lex Luger's got a big gun in your statue! And he's got a jetpack! Wait, Duke? No, that's Lex Luger! And Brit Hitman! Oh! Robots being destroyed, fans! What's this? Lots of jetpacks now! More! Whoa, look at this son of a bitch! Is that the Sarge? No! But he, he, that guy needs a cigar hanging out. Whoa, Destro! Oh no! It's those evil Nazis! Cobra Commander to Destro Twins of the Baroness! Looks like they've got some sort of explosive device they're gonna attach in this Statue of Liberty match, as it is now a Statue of Liberty match. Oh, whose music is that? Oh, it must be the Cobra song. Oh, that guy's got a mustache. Oh, in the shadow of Lady Liberty, she weeps at the violence we see. So, Snake Eyes, that son of a bitch. He's a sneaky bastard. He's got himself a Cobra ship. This guy's got himself a Hookshot. Maybe that's his G.I. Joe name, Hookshot. And the glass is broken and shattered with a fist. Snake Eyes now with the assist. Hookshot gets away. Oh my god. A mighty punch to that Nazi Cobra Commander by Lex Luger. Lex Luger fighting for our freedom. Here in the Survivor Series, I guess. Lady J. My goodness. Whoa, is that Shang-Chi? Shipwreck now. Get into shark-shaped jets. My god. Look at the size of that fucking cannon. Oh, there's Lady J again. Oh yeah, Roadblock, Iceberg, yeah, getting in on the action as well, The Rock, Cobra Commander and Destro, you better make a run for it, Baroness, show me them tits, oh yeah, Lex Luger now, getting the bomb, reaching high into the sky now, fighting for our freedom, I'll tell you what folks, this boot camp match, the USS Intrepid, has turned into so much more, in your Statue of Liberty, an explosion rocks the arena, the fans are electric, yes, it's official, the referee's calling it Cobra on the retreat, Lex Luger, American freedom has been saved. Lex Luger fights for us. 
G.I. Joe, we thank you very much for protecting us in our house!